0: Good Monday morning to you. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Breaking news happening right now. Jack Welch, former chairman and CEO of General Electric, has died at 84. Uh, The manager of the century, the, the turnaround artist, the man who made General Electric what it is today. And it, well, what it was um, when he left the building, and, and it is it is no longer what it was, but just a heck of a guy, uh, just just impressive, uh, really really impressive, and uh, turnaround artist at General Electric really built it into a be a myth, and has passed away at 84. Now I, I was telling my wife before I started the show this morning, I feel like uh, I I think I shouldn't say I feel I don't care what you feel I I, I want to know what you think I think that my job these days has become to to get in here and give everyone the coronavirus update. and I'm not going to do that today. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah we will get to it. we We absolutely will get to it, but it's just I, I got other stuff I want to talk about. We need to move on uh, beyond the coronavirus uh, be, beyond uh, all the other updates. and we need to begin. With Butter Judge, Butter Judge has left the building, and I regret I didn't get a chance to play this out. Now, let me explain before you get offended. So, when Pete Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, first ran for president, uh, I commented on him, and I had to use Siri because I was driving, and I and so I said, "Hey, dingus," I'm not going to say the the other because it will set off your your devices. Um, it, So I said, hey, dingus, uh, and, and I issued forth uh, some words of wisdom about Buttigieg, and uh, Siri translated it as butter judge. I tried to say it slow for Siri, and, and Siri translated it as butter judge. And then, you know, the the Buttigieg campaign came out and kept telling people, it is boot edge edge. That's how you pronounce it, boot edge edge. And so I would tell Siri, boot edge edge, and it would write out B-O-O-T, space, E-D-G-E, space, E-D-G-E, space. And and it is a remarkable statement to his candidacy that now if I say, hey, dingus, uh, write this about Pete Buttigieg, It gets it right. It spells it right. It has transformed itself. It has uh, downloaded into the consciousness of artificial intelligence how you spell this guy's name. And he will become a thing within the Democratic Party, I am sure. Uh, He is uh, being heralded today for getting out of the race to spare everyone the, the having to pick and having to deal with him versus others. And, you know, I regret I didn't get a chance to play this the other day, but it's perfect on his way out the door to play this because one of the things, one of the best things that has happened with Pete Buttigieg is that someone has created a Pete Buttigieg uh, translator that essentially gives you a bunch of vapid statements online, a bunch of platitudes. That's it. It's the Pete Buttigieg platitude generator. That's the name of it. Now, what do I mean? Someone put together this montage. It is Pete Buttigieg and Barack Obama. And essentially, Buttigieg was a poor man's Barack Obama who would take Phrases that Obama used and reiterate them. Listen to this. The way we do every we other election by it giving it to the
1: person who got the most votes. Just, Just a thought. thought.
0: Brings us because together. This, now, country this country was built and it is a pools. movement
1: reaching in and church, church basements, basements and barber shops and in our schools, universities, and, and with our kids. And if, if if change change the world, the and if we if can up the neighborhoods and we can light up the Senate shines as a beacon around the world once more. And this is our chance to
0: answer that call such a great montage. I regret not playing it last week, and I kind of feel bad playing it now because he's dropping out of the race. Now, uh, he's dropping out of the race because he wants to stop Bernie Sanders, and he has no path forward. The irony here, and the reason I bring him up out of the gate, is it really is striking that the youngest guy in the race is doing the mature thing of dropping out of the race because he sees that Bernie Sanders is a threat to the Democrats' ability to win in November, and he wants to stop it. So Buttigieg is leaving the race. Will he endorse someone? I'm sure he will. Uh, people close to Obama say that Obama has advised him he's got uh, capital now to spend. And I suspect uh, we're going to see him use that capital. I suspect we're going to see uh Biden endorsement. I can't imagine a Bloomberg endorsement. If it's a Bloomberg endorsement, it is uh, immediately going to be an endorsement perceived as being bought off because every Bloomberg endorsement has been someone uh, that Bloomberg paid money to. Apparently, uh, n- there are n- there's no one out there endorsing Bloomberg who hasn't gotten money from Bloomberg, which tells you everything you need to know. If he's going to uh, buy off the whole country, bribery for votes is illegal. He's going to go to jail, but bribery for endorsements, not so much. Uh, and so Bloomberg has a hard time getting anyone who doesn't uh, say, like his money to like him. I totally suspect that Buttigieg is going to get on the campaign trail and and stump for Biden and make a play for vice president. And that's what he wants to do, honestly. Yeah, you put him on on Biden's ticket as a vice presidential pick, but there's a problem. He's not there. He may be a uh, a gay white dude, but he's not diverse enough for the left. Remember, uh, gay activists across the country hate Budigej because they say his is not the gayness we need to celebrate. Now what do they mean by that? Uh they mean by that that they they don't they, they they think he basically is a heterosexual white male uh who just likes dudes. That he he's got a privileged white male upbringing. That his is not the story of of oppression and suppression that they believe needs to be highlighted in the gay community and that that celebrating Pete Budigej does a disservice to the gay community. I wish I was making this up but I'm not. But Buttigieg is gone, and he's gone because of what happened on Saturday in South Carolina. Uh, The South Carolina primary happened. And in the South Carolina primary, Joe Biden dominated. Joe Biden got 48.4% of the vote. Bernie Sanders got 19.9% of the vote. And so Sanders and Biden get delegates. Biden gets 35. Uh, Sanders gets, um, what does he get? I'm sorry, Uh, 13. And so now that leaves the delegate count. There are 149 delegates thus far. 58 for Sanders, 50 for Joe Biden, 26 for Buttigieg, eight for Elizabeth Warren, seven for Amy Klobuchar, and zero for anyone else. It is notable... That the guy who has more delegates than Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar or Joe or um, Mike Bloomberg has gotten out and the rest of them are staying in. I, I don't see what their path is. There's a report out today that Elizabeth Warren may not even win Massachusetts, that Bernie Sanders is coming on strong in Massachusetts. And for the longest time, it looked like, like Elizabeth Warren was hanging on uh, to help Bernie Sanders, and now it looks like she's hanging on to keep his delegate count low. I guess she's an opportunist angling for uh, a- angling for a position somewhere. It, it is remarkable, though. That The longer she hangs on, the more her unpopularity goes up. So what's the lay of the land here? And and this is the fascinating thing. And Biden has some real problems coming up, although this rebounds. This helps Joe Biden rebound. Joe Biden does not really have much of a campaign team. Listen to Van Jones. He's talking on CNN this morning.
2: First of all, is it now basically a two-person race? And second of all, what do you think is going to happen Tuesday? Well, I mean, it needs to become a two-person race for the party to be able to make a clear decision. Uh, We'll see what other candidates do. Listen, Tuesday is very simple. You have Bernie says, congratulations, in South Carolina. I've got a movement. Uh, Bloomberg says, I've got a money machine. Let's see if that works. Biden says, I've got me. That's what I've got. And maybe that's enough uh, on Tuesday. But if it's not, uh, Biden, if he wants to clear this field, if he wants to be able to get this nomination and also take on Trump. He's got to put a real campaign together now. Uh, Even his closest people are saying the campaign operation he's had up until now is inadequate.
0: Yes, it's true. Biden has had a very bad campaign. He was saved by black voters in South Carolina on Saturday. And when he goes across the South, black voters will continue to help him. But that will only get him so far because he's got to deal with the Super Tuesday cal- calendar. And and who's on Super Tuesday? Texas and California. Now, let me uh, let me break this down for you again. We've gone over this before. I don't want to do it ad nauseum, but this is relevant. There are Democratic primaries uh, uh, tomorrow the 5th. Nope, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, the 3rd. Looking at May instead of March. The, there, there are Democratic primaries tomorrow. Uh, next week, the week after and the week after there are literally every week in March, except the last week, the 31st, there are democratic primaries. So the third, the 10th, the 17th and the 24th, uh, in addition on the 14th, there are going to be races for the democratic party. What's this is the lay of the land for the Democrats coming up. You've got tomorrow, Alabama, American Samoa, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Democrats Abroad, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont and Virginia. Now, the Democrats Abroad are Democrats who live internationally are able to participate in a vote tomorrow. Uh, it is a secure vote. There are 17 delegates. 13 of them will be pledged delegates. Four of them will be super delegates. Uh, they are uh, Democrats internationally who have registered to vote uh, through a process set up by the Democratic Party so that they can come in and participate. Now, you've got in the polling right now in California and Texas, they have the most delegates at stake tomorrow. There are 494 delegates at stake uh, in California. There are 262 delegates at stake in uh, Texas. In California, uh, Bernie Sanders, if the polling is accurate, uh, in California, Bernie Sanders is expected to take 227 roughly of those delegates with Elizabeth Warren in second place. Uh, Warren, interestingly enough, if she were to drop out, would help Sanders there. She's not going to. Uh, Biden will get 86 if the polling is accurate. Now, here's the problem with the polling is that as we get closer and closer, the California polling suggests Bernie Sanders is doing better and better. And, and no one knows what the rebound effect is going to be. Uh, Sanders has gone up a little more in the late polling. He's up on in the polling average, 16.7%. Now, you've got in the polling average, Sanders at 34.7, Biden at 18, Warren at 15, and Sanders has just skyrocketed in the last few days. An Emerson College poll has Bernie at 38, a CBS poll has him at 31, a USA Today Suffolk poll has him at 35% in California. And then there's the Texas issue. Biden has definitely surged in uh, Texas. But NBC News has it uh, 3419, and Emerson College has it 3126, both in Sanders' favor. He's at 30 percent. Biden's at 21 percent. Bloomberg coming up at 17.7 percent, and then Warren and Klobuchar are behind. Um, if this continues to hold, then Sanders continues to rack up delegates, and then you go to March 10th. A week from tomorrow, Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, and Washington hold votes. And then on the 14th, the Northern Marianas have a caucus. Not exactly a big deal. But then you get to two weeks from now, two weeks from tomorrow, Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio. Now, the interesting thing here is what happens in Arizona, Florida, and Illinois there. Let me tell you why. Because in Ohio right now, Biden is leading Sanders but there hasn't been a lot of polling in Arizona. Biden is leading Sanders in Florida. Biden is leading Sanders. In fact, Bloomberg is ahead of Sanders in Florida. Only in Illinois is Sanders ahead and he's only barely ahead. This matters because Sanders is going to have a very good night on super Tuesday and that's tomorrow. He's going to probably win Texas. He is definitely going to win California. And of the other states on the ballot, he's probably going to win most of those about the only state that that he may lose that significant is Virginia. And the late polling even has Sanders winning Virginia, but barely almost tied with Biden. Biden's got some momentum there in North Carolina. Biden is ahead of him of, of Bernie, but barely. And in Oklahoma, You've got Sanders is ahead of Biden, of all things, Bloomberg in the lead there. But it looks like that Bloomberg's lead is trending down. So all of this is to say, oh, and, and then you've got Alabama. Let's be fair here. You do have Alabama tomorrow. And in Alabama, Biden has a big lead. Uh, so Biden can win a couple of them. The problem is that all the states that have major delegate halls, Sanders is not only doing well, he's doing very well. And the Biden campaign is going to have to turn around more. South Carolina has given Joe Biden a lifeline, and now he's going to have to go through southern states and rely on black voters. To, to get himself ahead. But there's a problem here. And Before I get there, I want to play this from Kirsten Sultan Sanderson.
2: How much can his win, Biden's win in South Carolina make up for the deficits and all of those, especially given the fact that millions of people have been voting already, early voting, in those Super Tuesday states?
3: Look, everybody loves a winner, and so having this momentum is very valuable for him. It is helping keep his campaign afloat. But with the short time frame, the problem he's going to have is, I still believe the Biden campaign does not have a clear and concise message in the way that someone like Bernie Sanders does. If you ask what Bernie Sanders is about, it's easy. It's a revolution for the 99%. Well,
2: all right. But let me just push back. Biden would say it's results, not revolution.
3: Yes. And I I just wonder, is that inspirational enough is that the sort of thing that gets people as excited as motivated does it hit the right emotional buttons and i think that bernie sanders because he's got this movement behind him this is why he's going to go into super tuesday and still be able to pull together so many delegates from from states like california from places like texas the polls show that he's still doing quite well particularly among younger voters but as long as he can still divide up the older voters within the democratic party it's going to be hard for anyone to challenge him uh, once, even once
0: you get past Super Tuesday. Yeah, it's a problem. And Biden really doesn't have a message. He says he's the guy who can best beat Trump. And yet he's having a hard time making it through the primaries. People like winners. He's going to benefit from some of the South Carolina. But we need to discuss the early voting phenomenon when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, eight seven seven nine seven eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Uh, You know, there are people out there speculating that Buttigieg is going to go to Bernie Sanders. That's a bunch of nonsense. He wants to stop Bernie Sanders. Interestingly enough, though, there is lots and lots and lots of polling out there to show uh, it to demonstrate very well that Bernie Sanders is the number two choice. For most Buttigieg supporters. In fact, this is consistent across polls, uh, this is consistent from uh, the Morning Consult poll to the YouGov poll to several other polls that Pete Buttigieg leaving most of his supporters would go to Bernie Sanders. Whether or not that actually happens, when Buttigieg comes out and says, as he has done so repeatedly in the past week or two, that uh, Sanders would lose to Trump, I don't know that it will happen, but but it could happen. Now, we I, 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 I got to go back to the audio I played when we went to break of Christian Soltis Anderson uh, talking about the Biden campaign and his lack of a message uh, and the bounce he will get and whether or not it's sustainable. Let's, Let's listen to this and I will, this is a minute, 12 second clip. I don't need to get that far into this to get to the point.
2: How much can his win, Biden's win in South Carolina, make up for the deficits and all of those, especially given the fact that Millions of people have been voting already, early voting, in those Super Tuesday states.
3: Look, everybody loves a winner. And so having this momentum is very valuable for him. It is helping keep his campaign afloat. But with the short time frame, the problem he's going to have is I still believe the Biden campaign does not have a clear and concise message in the way that someone like Bernie Sanders does. If you ask what Bernie Sanders is about, it's easy. It's a revolution for the 99 percent.
2: Well, all right. But let me just push back. Biden would say it's results, not revolution.
3: Yes. And I, I just wonder, is that inspirational enough is that the sort of thing that gets people as excited as motivated does it hit the right emotional buttons and i think that bernie sanders because he's got this movement behind him this is why he's going to go into super tuesday and still be able to pull together so many delegates from from states like california from places like texas the polls show that he's still doing quite well particularly among younger voters but as long as he can still divide up the older voters within the democratic party it's going to be hard for anyone to challenge him uh, once, even once you get past Super
0: Tuesday. Early voting, people. Early voting. Uh, how Now, I can tell you, I, I've done the research on this. Uh, it's, it's actually not hard to do the research on early voting. You just have to make some phone calls, and, and you can get the data yourself. Uh, but actually, early voting in California is not significant. So Biden could rebound out of South Carolina. It almost seemed like a lot of Super Tuesday voters were waiting to see what happened in South Carolina before they made up their mind. They didn't want to go vote. Uh, Early voting is not massive, but uh, there are still votes being locked in, and they're probably being locked in mostly for Bernie Sanders or even Elizabeth Warren. Uh, But according to polling out over the weekend, most California Democratic voters have made up their minds. They didn't just go early vote, and they don't care what happened in South Carolina. And they're going for Bernie Sanders. The question now is, does Sanders clear 50%? in South Car in California. If so, he gets a hundred percent of the delegates. Not thinking that's gonna happen, but he's gonna be close. It could be his California. It could be like Joe Biden South Carolina. Happening right now. I, I don't have good audio, so I'm not going to play it. But David Perdue holding a press conference in the uh, underneath the Gold Dome in Atlanta. He is qualifying today for a re-election. Kelly Leffler is well-qualifying. It is qualifying week here in Georgia. Uh, and David Perdue is going to be with me tomorrow um, after filing all his qualifications paperwork, among other things. Uh, standing behind him is... Uh, Marty Kemp and Governor Kemp, as he's announcing his reelection, saying we've got to fight against uh, socialism. Also, uh, I got to correct myself a little bit. The Texas Democrats are saying they've already got a million early votes. They've just uh, released this press release, actually, in the last couple of minutes. Uh, In fact, yeah, they sent it out at 925 a.m., uh, the early vote totals are in. Texas Democratic primary voters have exceeded one million total votes, surpassing 2016. Uh, in person, they've had 88, three thousand seven hundred two early votes. Cumulative uh, w- male votes one hundred sixteen thousand six hundred fourteen. Total one million three hundred sixteen thousand or one no one million three hundred sixteen. In-person and early mail votes uh, in the most populous 15 counties, Democrats vote shattered Republican early votes, which is no big deal because there isn't really a big Republican contest in Texas right now. It's just the Democratic uh, presidential primary, but over a million votes cast in Texas. And that happened before South Carolina. Remember, South Carolina was on Saturday. There hasn't been early voting on Saturday or Sunday, uh, and this comes out at 925 this morning, so it doesn't include any sort of Monday voting, and there is no Monday voting uh, because the election's tomorrow. So all of the cumulative early vote in Texas, over a million people have already voted. Bernie Sanders, according to the polls, had big momentum in Texas, and so that suggests Bernie Sanders may have a good night in Texas. And that's not good news for Joe Biden or the Democrats. Now, there's a lot of speculation this morning that Pete Buttigieg wants to be the Uh, Democratic uh, vice presidential pick for Joe Biden. We'll see if that happens. I want to go to Robert Gibbs. Robert Gibbs was Barack Obama's press secretary. He was on one of the Sunday shows talking about what Biden needs to do. I think he could sweep the the South. I mean, it's possible North Carolina will be the toughest. one. Well,
1: I think you look at the numbers you just showed and you've got Bloomberg at 15 percent right at that viability line. And so does last night's win and that momentum push a couple of points up for Vice President Biden and push Bloomberg down a couple of points. And so do you you force that one-on-one contest through viability? I think Joe Biden's strategy has to be to survive the big states of California and Texas and wake up Wednesday morning as the sole competitor
4: to Bernie Sanders.
0: But is he gonna be? Because Bloomberg has not bought a bunch of ads but Bloomberg wants to do a three-minute block on the networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, on the coronavirus, believe it or not. And we'll get to the coronavirus. There is news on the coronavirus. It's just I, I've talked about it so much. Uh, there are other things that, that I want to get to today uh, out of the gate, and we will get to the coronavirus stuff. And, and right now, I mean, Super Tuesday is tomorrow. It is a big deal. And uh, you're 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 gonna have the Democrats out there bashing each other and trying to find ways to to separate themselves from the pack. You're going to have Elizabeth Warren out there trying to make a case for herself even as she looks like uh, she may lose Massachusetts. One more from Kristen Soltis Anderson with Chris Wallace from over the weekend. What does polling say about how tough
2: it will be to sell socialism, not communism, but socialism to, a majority of Americans.
3: So Fox News's own polling from just this week shows that only about three out of 10 voters say that they would be comfortable with someone who is socialist uh, being president, uh, that they only about a third of America is okay with socialism. But socialism is defined very differently for younger voters versus older voters, as Katie was mentioning. I think that in terms of the word socialism, lots of voters don't like it, but the idea of the government providing very extensive health care benefits, et cetera, a lot of voters are actually much more on, on board with that. I would not count out the ideological places American voters may be willing to go.
2: You know, It's also interesting in our voter analysis, Fox News Voter Analysis, Bernie Sanders won among people, both black and white, under 45. He got clobbered among blacks and whites over 45.
0: He did. Black voters in South Carolina did not like Bernie Sanders at all because they want to beat Trump. And there is still this perception uh, that Bernie Sanders doesn't. Here's one more here. MSNBC on what a consolidation in the field means for Sanders
3: I, I do think would be something that that would make a real impact if he were to endorse Joe Biden tonight, Garrett?
4: It, It could make a huge impact. There's been some reporting in other news outlets that the two have not yet connected tonight. I have not confirmed that independently myself. I think there's something important to remember here, and I don't mean this to sound as disparaging as it probably will, but everyone who runs for president is an egomaniac. You have to be to get up in the morning and think that in a country of 300 million people you are uniquely qualified to be its leader and the leader of the free world. That applies to all the candidates, whether you like them or not. Um, and so to, take, to make the decision to get out is a big and difficult decision in and of its own right, much less to then decide to endorse someone else. And I would say, well, I agree, I think, with the conventional wisdom here that this is probably the most good news for Joe Biden, in my travels in these early states, Joe Biden is not the name that comes up most often when you talk to people who support Mayor Pete about who their second choice is. A lot of them also like Amy Klobuchar. A lot of them like more progressive politicians like Elizabeth Warren. Even some, dare I say, do like. Bernie Sanders. So yeah. while I think a consolidating field of non burning candidates is probably overall good news for Joe Biden. I don't think we should we should uh, assume right away that all Mayor Pete supporters, even if he did endorse, will just immediately wake up tomorrow morning and decide they're going to pull the lever for Joe Biden instead.
0: Exactly. Uh, and that's the problem right there is we don't know for sure what they would do. Now, what's the state of play here? Let let me give you the state of play in some of the upcoming big states. Uh, Nationally... You've got Sanders is up 10, Uh, and I'm using polling averages here, which I find way more reliable than individual polls. In fact, the polls in South Carolina were clearly all over the map, and all of them actually undercounted what was going to happen with Joe Biden uh, for a variety of factors. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, the polling averages tend to get it better. So Sanders up 10 nationally. He's up 16 in California. He's up six in Texas. Biden's up two in North Carolina. Sanders is up five in Virginia. He's up four in Massachusetts. He's up 13 in Colorado. He's up 13 in Utah, and he's up 16 in the betting odds, uh, which is something. He's got 58 delegates to Biden now, 50 delegates, and Buttigieg 26 delegates. Buttigieg is out. His delegates are bound to him in the first vote of the Democratic Convention. Keep that in mind. Uh, Buttigieg's initial delegates, they're they're not going anywhere. They're stuck with him in the first round of voting. If uh, Nobody gets a majority, then they're released in the second round of voting and the superdelegates will come in and and make up the difference. But when you look at this again... You've got Sanders for Super Tuesday is in the lead in the polling in California and Texas and Virginia and Massachusetts and Colorado and Utah. Now, what are the delegates here? Because the delegates are what matters. And I hope I'm not boring you guys here. I find this stuff fascinating. Uh, the the road to the White House, it, it's just it, it fascinates me to no end. And uh, I I hope I'm trying to at least educate you so you'll be smarter than the rest of your friends out there uh, and they'll have to rely on you. Uh, let me give you now the delegate counts for these states. And again, uh, Bernie Sanders, he's ahead in Colorado. There are 80 delegates. He's ahead in California. There are 494 delegates. He's ahead in Massachusetts. There are 114 delegates. Uh, Joe Biden is ahead in, in North Carolina. There are 122 delegates. Uh, Sanders is ahead in Texas. There are 262 delegates. And he's ahead in Utah. There are 35 delegates. And he's ahead in Virginia. And there are 124 delegates. And remember, all of these races are proportional races. So as long as Bernie Sanders stays in the lead, he will pick up the majority of the delegates. And if he's not in the lead, if he's in second place, he will still get delegates that will still continue to add to his total. That's kind of a big deal out there these days. People forget about the the proportional voting in the Democratic primary side. Now, uh, what else is going on out there? Well, Joe Biden continues to be the gift that keeps on giving to the Republicans. He actually said this on stage yesterday.
5: By the way, how many of you did really well with that 1.9 trillion dollar tax cut that increased? <laughs> really in good shape, right? Really changed your. Well, you did. Well, that's good. You must, I'm glad to see you're doing well already. And I'm good. But
0: guess what? If you elect me, I'm not going to have your. Your taxes are going to be raised, not cut. If you're in, if you benefit from that. Yeah. So Biden on the campaign trail pulling a Walter Mondale that your taxes are going to be raised. If he becomes president because he's going to get rid of the Trump tax cut. And then, you know, he had this bizarre interview. It was too long to, to even ask Charlie to cut it up this morning. He went on with Chris Wallace. He did a very good interview with Chris Wallace. But one of the things that Chris Wallace asked him was about his continued flubs on the campaign trail. Are they a sign of old age? Are they a sign of exhaustion? And he denied, he, yeah, he's on the campaign trail. It, it's hard to keep up with what state you're in. You know, in South Carolina, he said he was running for the Senate, not for the presidency, things like that. He, he got confused on the campaign trail. He's just keeping up with stuff. It's very fast pace. He handled himself well. But then at the end of the interview, he referred to Chris Wallace as Chuck. He had been on an interview with uh, Chuck Todd on on NBC's Meet the Press before he had been on with Chris Wallace and, again, did exactly what Chris Wallace was talking to him about, called Chris Wallace Chuck instead of Chris he's gonna have to figure that out Uh, again this goes back to Van Jones's comments I played earlier Biden has run a very uh, is his campaign out of the gate he spent a lot of money up front but he didn't necessarily hire the best staff up front His staff was spending tons of money wooing delegates, running ads, uh, doing all sorts of video displays. Uh, It it was uh, so. So let me let me let me back up. I when I was in college, I worked for a public the public school I graduated from in Louisiana. I would go home during the summer and I would work in the school. Uh, Doctor Winsy was the the headmaster of the school it was one building there was an elementary middle and a high school and the the local school board got the brilliant idea of let's just combine this these three schools since they're all in one building let's combine them into one big school so it'll be k through 12 one school there will be a principal for elementary principal for middle and a principal for high school and dr winsey she was just brilliant i I love that lady she was the headmaster of the whole thing made them all work and so I was there during the summer, I would come up with a, uh, I had to come up with a code of conduct for the students. I had to uh, design a bunch of forms for her. I, I mean, I, I was, a. I I could be a brilliant bureaucrat. I just want you to know I, I'm master of generating forms and paperwork. So there was one of the, one of the principals at the school, everything looked just so. I mean, everything looked perfect. Everything was immaculate. His office was spotless. He made sure that everything was spotless in in the elementary school. Uh, whenever he came to meetings, he was overly prepared. He knew everything. He knew the stuff for all the other people and all. I mean, it was impressive to me. It was really, really impressive as a as a 19 year old working in the school, seeing this guy come in from the elementary school at a school that, frankly, I had a low opinion of uh, outside of the headmaster because I had graduated from there. I had seen it behind the scenes, and and so much of it was was just not good. And here comes this guy, and, and he just seems to have his act together. And I was talking privately to the headmaster one day about it. And she immediately cut me off and she said, y- y- nope, you got to watch. You, you got to watch. She said, you will find in life that there are people who everything on the surface is spectacular and polished and spotless. But it's the beneath the surface stuff that matters. And the beneath the surface stuff He's making everything on the surface seem spectacular to gloss over the fact that there's no there there there's no substance there's no depth. He doesn't he's not actually in command of his school. And I started paying attention, and you know she was right. His, his office was spotless. Everything was spotless. Everything was clean, and, and he had the best platitudes, and he had the best, best uh, corporate speaking. But when you actually got into and you started pushing him on stuff, you realized there wasn't a lot of there there. He really didn't know what he was doing. He was really out of his league. He really didn't know how to improve um, the, the situation in his school and his his team wasn't actually well run that the office was clean and spotless but everybody was very very messy behind the scenes and i just it, that, that point always struck with me and it's very much like joe biden's political campaign that on the surface you go to joe biden's website the the website is spotless he's got slick ads but it's the behind the scenes stuff the the, the veneer of of slickness and polish covers up for the fact that there's really not a lot of there there in depth he doesn't have a great campaign team if he was smart he would poach some of Pete Buttigieg's campaign team including Liz Smith uh Pete Buttigieg's spokeswoman Biden should do these things. He does not have great staff. If you will recall, a lot of the Obama A-team declined to go with him, which should have been telling. And by the way, that reminds me, where is Barack Obama in all of this now that the race is consolidating? Where is he? What's he doing? Well, I've got news on that front when we come back. You should text ARMY to 33777 and sign up for our conservative activist list so you will not only stay in the know, but be empowered easily to reach out to your elected officials as uh, need be. Also, also, I did send out a recipe on Friday. Uh, if you text recipe to 33777, uh, you will get the, the recipe I wound up sending out on Friday. It's an overnight waffle recipe. It it really is great for the weekend. You can still get it and try it if you want, but you mix everything together the night before with some yeast and you leave it on your, on your countertop. You, You just cover it. You add the eggs the next morning. Um, But it's a it is a great, great. It's crispy, crispy waffle on the outside and super pillowy soft on the inside. It's fantastic. Uh, If you want it text recipe to three, three, seven, seven, seven. What will happen is you'll get asked for your email address after you text it. And then you'll get an email uh, with a link to all the latest recipes, including that one. It's good stuff. Um, Barack Obama. Where is Barack Obama? What is happening with Barack Obama? Why is Barack Obama? Uh, not uh out on the campaign trail for anyone. Well, according to multiple sources, multiple sources close to Barack Obama, he is telling people he's going to wait. He he's he's not gonna jump in yet. See, here's the thing. The Obama people, and, and it's it's you can you can tell that I'm not making this up by the fact that they that he hasn't actually endorsed. Uh, endorsed Biden. There are a lot of people out there who will privately now say that Obama didn't want Biden to run, that he considered Biden too old to be able to do it. And Biden decided he needed to do it to save Obama's legacy because no one else was going to go out there and save Obama's legacy. It was a matter of loyalty for Biden that they totally appreciate, but also it was a matter of the Obama team thinking Biden's not really ready for prime time in this stuff. And he's not going to be because he just keeps getting older. And, you know, it, it really is something that I suspect when when he does come out and endorse Biden, and I, I think he will, uh, because it, the Bloomberg really doesn't have a shot. Bloomberg has no delegates. He's poured his money into Super Tuesday. He's planning on spending a billion dollars and he may not win a single delegate. Think about that. Bloomberg may not win a single delegate after spending a billion dollars. And that's going to leave a Bernie Biden race. And by then it may be too late because Bernie keeps racking up delegates. I suspect, though, if Biden can come out of Super Tuesday and do well enough, if he can hold Sanders close in Texas, he can get Alabama, he can get North Carolina, some of the other states, maybe he can beat him in Virginia, even though the polls have Bernie slightly ahead. I suspect you will see the president come out before Florida and say, go with uh, go, go with go with Biden. Y'all, I, by the way, I, I'm not tired here. I'm just having a hard—there are so many bees in the race. There's Biden, there's Bloomberg, there's Bernie, there's Buttigieg, and Buttigieg is gone. But I keep having to second-guess myself. If you keep hearing me pause before I say the name of the candidate, that's why, because I keep saying, okay, am I about to say Bloomberg, Bernie, Biden, Sanders, what? There are too many bees running for president on the Democratic side. And you know the irony is now, uh, of the candidates running for the Democratic Party, they're all now over 70, and they're all men. Yes, Warren and Klobuchar are still there, but think about it. The the three major viable candidates in the Democratic Party right now are between the ages of 77 and 79. Two of the three have heart issues, and all three of them are older than Donald Trump. And the media has been out there cheering on the diversity of the Democratic field and the diversity of the Democratic candidates. And at the end of the day, the Democratic Party that masters identity politics is putting three old white guys, one of whom is a billionaire, on the stage as the people most likely to confront Donald Trump. It actually is amazing that the Democratic Party, for all of their diversity politics and identity politics, are going with three white guys. Klobuchar and Warren are not viable at this point. And by the way, so there is a lot of speculation out there that Buttigieg... Uh, wants now to be a vice presidential pick and i think that's fair i think that's that is a fair assumption i think he probably does but how can he if you've got an old white guy as the vice as the presidential nominee for the democratic party you can't go with a young white guy for vice president even if he's gay you've got to go for a diverse pick you got to go for a woman you know this helps Stacey abrams And I I can't imagine that it would be Abrams simply because uh, the only thing she ever got elected to was a state representative position in Georgia. She lost a governor's race. I can't imagine they would go with her, but it certainly helps her more than Buttigieg. But it's not just her. There are a number of other women out there. It helps. And I suspect that's one reason Elizabeth Warren, who's got nothing better to do than run for president, that's why she's hanging on. But, you know, Elizabeth Warren may lose her primary to Bernie Sanders in Massachusetts. More likely than not, according to the polling, she will. That doesn't make her a viable vice presidential candidate. So maybe Klobuchar. I don't know. Um, It's going to be interesting. We need to move on, though. We got Georgia politics to talk about. We do have to talk about the coronavirus. And Kelly Loeffler just qualified. I'll bring you some audio from her press conference when we come back hello and welcome it is eric erickson here the Eric erickson show the phone number you want to be a part of the program you want to call and chat 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425 on wednesday night i will be at the university of georgia in athens talking to the college republicans if you're in the athens area i'm not sure whether you can come or not but i'm You can come hang out and stand outside the room if they won't let you in and and say hi afterwards. Um, I'm sure I'll be going to grab a beer somewhere in Athens afterwards because it's Athens. That's what you do in Athens. Uh, Other housekeeping note. Today is the first day of early voting for the Democratic presidential primary in Georgia. Now, technically, technically, wait, 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 wait. Let me let me make sure that I'm telling you the truth here. Um if you ever want to know what, what, I, there's no reason for me to keep this sort of stuff secret from you it's not Gnostic knowledge uh if you ever want to um really go in depth in the presidential process there's a great website it's called 270 to win and it's the number 270 and then TO and then the word win uh 270 to win so 270 are numbers and then the word two win.com. And it gives you the calendar and stuff. Uh, It gives you all the information you need to know. I don't know who does it. Yes, that is right. Uh, Technically, 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 there is a uh, Georgia primary. But there's not really, there is a presidential preference primary, but for the Republicans in Georgia, but not really. Uh, If you you really want to vote, you can go to the Democratic primary, as some Republicans are urging people to do, go to the Democratic primary and uh, do it that way. Um, Okay, now. Uh, we got other stuff we got to chat about this morning, including qualified in Georgia. Here's Kelly Leffler with her announcement that she's running for re-election.
1: Good morning. I'm talking to you this morning from the capital down in Georgia. I'm so excited to say that I've just finished qualifying for my race in November. I'm running, and I'm running to win. We have great momentum. I'm humbled by the grassroots support and by the new folks coming into our party to support you.
0: Now, now, note, note to the, the note to the guys who are doing this for her, please, you can get an external microphone for an iPhone. It plugs into the lightning port. You can get a, a little portable shotgun mic, among other things. It works terrific. I highly recommend it. Please, uh, all of you, and it's not just Leffler. It's, it's all of them. Uh, all of them. There, there are this Rode, R-O-D-E, for, for any of you, randomly. Random aside here, Rode, R-O-D-E, it is an Australian company. The Aussies uh, have totally uh, invested in audio for podcasting. And Rode makes, I've got a lot of Rode equipment. I've got a Rode mixer that I use for my radio show right here. Uh, I've got a Rode shotgun mic uh, on the camera I use for broadcasting the program. I've got a Rode uh, portable uh, video shotgun mic for my iPhone. I've got a a Rode lav mic. Uh, I've actually got a buddy of mine borrowing it right now for some interviews. It is fantastic stuff. It works very well, uh, and it will improve the audio of your selfies, videos. It'll improve the audio of your podcasting videos, and I highly recommend it to all the candidates out there. Go buy. It's it's the the R-O-D-E is the company, Rode.com, and they make a, a video mic. You can attach it to your iPhone, uh, and it is fantastic. Uh, I highly recommend it. They they have a mobile microphone section and it comes with all sorts of stuff. Oh, look, they've even got now live mics you can plug directly into your iPhone with a lightning connector. Uh, Go to Rode. They're wonderful people. They make fantastic stuff uh, and it will improve your audio. But nonetheless, Kelly Leffler has qualified. And that is exciting. Uh, the the Leffler campaign team is out there. The Collins campaign team is out there. Uh, Collins is register or, or registering to to run again. David Perdue is out there. He's qualified to run again. You know the 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 running the the percentage is uh, that you pay. The qualifying fee is based on a percentage of how much you make uh, as a candidate. So, for example, I think it's it's 10%, I think, is the qualifying fee. So Congress, I think, is $149,000. So the qualifying fee is $1,490. Uh, it's not significant, but then, of course, you can have outstanding loans and stuff like that. Um, it, so it's kind of a big deal. And it, they're now running. They're off to the races. And the campaign's in full swing. There will be no primary in Georgia. Now, what there also is not in Georgia is COVID-19, the coronavirus. Uh, I want to tell you again... If you want the live update, I'm going to go to it right now. In fact, I'm going to do it myself because I lost the link. If you, to the number, get out your cell phone. All of you, we'll do it together. Get out your cell phone right now and go to your text messaging app. Messages, if it is, if you have an iPhone. I have no idea what the message app is on an Android device. I'm sure it's inferior in every way to the Apple one. But nonetheless, uh, to the number, you text to the number 33777 is the number you text. And then the word that you text is just data, D-A-T-A, and you send it, and we wait just a second. It is a brilliant system that I use. I pay for it out of my own pocket. The radio stations, the radio company, nobody helps me pay for it. I do it myself. And you get a text message back by texting data to 33777, and it says, this is a fantastic way to monitor the coronavirus. And you click the link. And it takes you to the dashboard of Johns Hopkins University Medical Center that shows you the mass outbreak of the coronavirus as it now begins its spread globally. In fact, the United Kingdom's health secretary is saying that they could expect several million infected people there and 500,000 deaths. He's scaring people. He shouldn't uh, much more reasoned uh, tone here in this country. But where, where do we stand right now? As of this moment uh, here, the dashboard has eighty nine thousand two hundred fifty three infected people worldwide. Three thousand forty eight have died. Forty five thousand three hundred ninety four people have recovered. Now let's go to the United States. There are now eighty six cases in the United States of America. Uh, In the United States of America, there are two deaths in King County, Washington. There are two people who have recovered in Chicago. There's one in Boston who's recovered. There's one in King County, Washington recovered. There's one in San Diego recovered. There's one in Santa Clara, California recovered. And there's one in Tempe, Arizona recovered. We now have more east of the Mississippi. Zooming in here, we have, let's see, we've got one confirmed case in Madison, Wisconsin still. We've got one new confirmed case in Chicago for three total. Two of the three have been uh, have recovered. There's one in New York City, there's one in Prayer two in Providence, Rhode Island. there's one in Boston, Massachusetts, there is one in Hillsborough County, Florida, and there is one in Sarasota, Florida. Tampa, basically. Um, there are nationwide, let me give you the breakdown now, in San Antonio, there's one confirmed, one existing case. Uh, there's one in Tempe, Arizona that is recovered. Uh, in San Diego, there are two, one's recovered, one's existing. In Orange County, there's one confirmed. In Los Angeles, there's one confirmed. San, ben- San Benito, California, there are two Uh, There are six in Santa Clara, California, one recovered, five existing, two in Sacramento confirmed, two existing, and one in Humboldt County. And California, one existing. And in Portland, Oregon, there are two. They're still recovering. So there you go. That That's the U.S. Uh, 86 total cases in the United States of America right now. There are 80,026 in China, 4,335 in South Korea, 1,694 in Italy, 978 in Iran, 705 from the Diamond Princess, 256 from Japan, 115 Germany, 130 France, 120 Spain, 106 Singapore, 98 Hong Kong, and 86 in the U.S., and now there is a report from Anthony Fauci. Remember Anthony Fauci, Anthony Fauci, Anthony Fauci, Anthony Fauci. He's the head of the National Institutes of Health, and there was all sorts of—he's—he's uh, he's been censored. He's been muzzled. He's not allowed on TV anymore. Except he wasn't muzzled. Now, in fairness to the media for saying he was muzzled, I do want to be fair here the president's team at the White House botched the Anthony Fauci um, withdrawal from the media. Here's what happened. Anthony Fauci was supposed to, he's the head of the National Institutes of Health and National Institutes of, of Allergies and Disease. He is a brilliant scientist and doctor, and he is a great spokesman. And he was supposed to be on TV a lot at the end of last week. The president put Vice President Pence in charge of coordinating everything. And the vice president's office had Fauci cancel all of his appearances on TV, some at the last minute. Well, members of the media started buzzing that he was being censored. He was being muzzled. He was being taken out. uh, He was being quieted. And yes and no. I talked to a couple of reporters who have inside knowledge on this and said, yeah, it was very abrupt at the last minute that he was canceled. Uh, So clearly they didn't want him on TV. Now, what the White House says is that they didn't want him on TV because they wanted to make sure they had a coordinated messages. They had uh, multiple people going on TV. They had the secretary of health and human services. They had the uh, head of the Centers for Disease Control. They had Anthony Fauci. They want to make sure everybody was on the same page and everyone was talking and uh, that Fauci wasn't really Muzzled so much as, yes, he was abruptly canceled on some shows, but it was to make sure everyone was on the same page and everyone was focused on the same things. Here's what Fauci himself said at a press conference.
3: Thank you, Mr. President. And I'm just going to ask you directly about this with regard to the flow of information. From the very beginning, you received a lot of criticism regarding that, in particular about... Dr. Anthony Fauci. He is world-renowned in contagious diseases, and there were reports out there that he was being muzzled. Can you tell us that this widely respected expert, Dr. Fauci, will have every opportunity to tell us the truth? Well, that's a very
2: dishonest, the, and, very and dishonest facts. question because uh, he, he has honest? because he has had that.
5: Uh, ability to do virtually whatever he's wanted to do, and in, in fact, in fact, he, he was never muzzled. Okay. I think I can no, speak. No. You can no. speak. Why don't you speak no. to that?
4: A Very person. dishonest no. question, no, but that's I'm okay. Dishonest. I want to clarify this. Yeah. I want to clarify.
5: So, so, let me let me clarify it. I have never been muzzled, ever, and I've been doing this since the administration of Ronald Reagan. I'm not being muzzled by this administration. What happened, which was misinterpreted, is that. We were set up to go on some shows, and when the vice president took over, we said, let's regroup and figure out how we're going to be communicating. So I had to just stand down on a couple of shows and resubmit for clearance. And when I resubmitted for clearance, I got cleared. So I have not been muzzled at all. That was a real misrepresentation of what happened.
0: That's from Anthony Fauci himself. Telling the media it was a, a real misrepresentation of what happened to him, that the vice president suddenly in charge, there's now a, a, a new operating procedure with which to go through, and he just had to go back through him and make sure it was okay. It took a little bit of time, but they've authorized him to start going back on TV. And now he's got a report out in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, this dropped on February 28th. It is not getting a lot of attention yet. This is from Anthony Fauci himself, along with Clifford Lane and Robert uh, Reedfeld. They are all respected doctors. Uh, they are from the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, the National Institutes of Health, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I want to read for you the third paragraph On the basis of a case definition requiring a diagnosis of pneumonia, the currently reported case fatality rate is 2%. In another article in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, a particular doctor who he names uh, reported a mortality of 1.4% among 1,099 patients with laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 these patients have a wide spectrum of disease severity. If one assumes, now pay attention to this, pay attention, this is the important part. If one assumes that the number of asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic cases is several times as high as the number of reported cases, the case fatality rate may be considerably less than 1%. This suggests That the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 may ultimately be more akin to those of a severe seasonal flu, which has a case fatality rate of approximately one-tenth of one percent or a pandemic influenza, similar to those of 1957 or 1968, rather than a disease similar to SARS or MERS, which have had case fatality rates of 9% to 10% and 36% in the case of MERS, respectively. The efficiency of transmission for any respiratory virus has important implications for containment and mitigation strategies. The current study indicates an estimated basic reproduction rate of 2.2, which means that on average, each infected person spreads the Infection to an additional two persons, as the authors note in a previous study. Until this number falls below one, it's very likely the outbreak is going to continue to spread. Recent reports of high uh, bits of the virus early in the course of the disease aroused concern about the increased infectivity during the period of minimal symptoms. Now, what does all of this mean? Uh, It is meaning there is more and more evidence out there that a lot more people may have this disease than we know. And a lot of people are getting respiratory distress ailments and think they've just got colds and they're not going to get it checked. And so it turns out this virus may not be nearly as bad as some people thought. Uh, And so what do you do to prepare for it? How do you be cautious about it? We'll get into that when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. If you want to call in, be a part of the program, 877 97 Eric, 877 973 Uh, I got asked, and I will share with you all, am I doing any prepper stuff? You know, there is a whole subculture in this country of preppers, and it's really big in talk radio. Uh, I've actually declined to do endorsements for, you know, I'm really bad at turning down business. People want to pay me money to tell you to buy prepper food, and maybe I should do it. (laughs) You know, my problem is, so when I was a kid, uh, my dad, there, there's a guy on the radio, if you're older than me, you, you've certainly heard of Paul Harvey. And, it, you know, in my house growing up, noon to twelve fifteen p.m. was quiet time. If you breathed audibly, you were going to get in trouble because my dad had to listen to Paul Harvey. Uh, Paul Harvey was must-listen to radio uh, from 12 to 12.15 every weekday. And on Saturdays, I believe, Paul Harvey would break down the news for you. He would do a rest of the story in the evening, but he would do the Paul Harvey news update every day. It was phenomenal. He was overwhelmingly trusted by the American public. He's one of the most listened-to people on radio. And, and he's claimed... I don't know whether he actually did it or not, but he claimed uh, that he had a personal relationship with every advertiser. He used all the products and services that he advertised. And I've always felt that way. Like, for example, Dynamic Money uh, that sponsors this program. Uh, And Chris Burns, who fills in for me, Chris Burns literally actually is my financial advisor. Uh, His firm literally actually is taking my family through financial planning and learning to budget and all that stuff. Uh, they, They really genuinely are and and they're good people and i'm happy to use them I'm, I'm happy to have them and i don't want to do advertisements for products and services i don't believe in and and so that leads me to the the prepper people came and they wanted to pay me a lot of money to advertise on the program for food prepper stuff and i'm like no no i i, I think i'll pass because i'm not going to be a food prepper but suddenly this weekend i found myself in food prepper mode in fact On Friday night, I went to the grocery store and and began to buy some food. Now, here's the reason why, though. My wife has lung cancer, uh, and the rates of this disease suggest that uh, she would be vulnerable to it if it were to spread into Georgia, uh, particularly into middle Georgia. she's got lung cancer. I've got clots in my lungs. Both of us given lung damage would be susceptible. So, but I didn't go out and buy, I've got a a buddy of mine who spent over $1,500 buying non-perishable food items and stocking his freezer with meat. I'm like, you're nuts. What I've been telling people is, is what I practice myself, uh, going to buy a few extra items. So for example, I bought some extra pasta sauce Uh, A couple of jars of pasta sauce. They don't expire for over a year and a half, so they're going to get used. I bought a couple extra boxes of uh, pasta noodles. I bought some extra cans. I bought a a giant bag of rice. It's going to get used. And in fact, I didn't realize my wife had already bought a giant bag of rice. So then I bought some extra flour, bought some extra sugar, bought a little extra yeast so I can make bread if we can't go to the grocery store to buy bread for some reason, uh, which I'm going to make bread anyway. And then beans and corn and uh, some bags of frozen chicken that don't expire until next year. So hey, we, we're we're stocked up on food that we're going to eat anyway. And that's kind of the key. If you're worried about the virus, and I'll, I'm happy to take your calls on this as well. But if you're worried about it, just go buy stuff that's going to last for several months in your freezer on your shelf, because this thing's going to sweep through, will be okay. Uh, you just may not be able to go to the grocery store on the day you want to go to the grocery store. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show. You can be a part of the program by calling 877 97 Eric. 877-973-7425. If you want the podcast of the show, text the word show to 33777, and I will spit you back the link. Uh, for the podcast. Uh, and again, if you want to see the Johns Hopkins University Medical Center uh, real time dashboard of how the COVID 19 virus is spreading around the world, text the word data to 33777. Now, there's something new here. You'll get a second text uh, encouraging you to subscribe to what is called Substack. It is a daily email newsletter I have started writing beyond the resurgent. Uh, mostly for listeners of this program, you got to subscribe to it. It's just seven bucks. That's it, seven bucks. Uh, and uh giving you more real time data links to stuff stuff i'm reading uh deeper analysis of campaign 2020 uh some special podcasts, you'll get some discounts and things like that but uh, you know i i pay for for example the the action um the, the action center where you can reach your state representatives and congressmen and whatnot I pay for that out of pocket, and I pay for the very texting service you use when you text data to 33777. I pay for that out of pocket. So this is a great way to help me defray some of these costs until we get some advertisers. And if you want to advertise statewide on this program, feel free to reach out to us, uh, and we'll see if we can cut out a, a good deal for you. Uh, to to advertise statewide and get your service your product yourself whatever some exposure we need more advertisers uh, thank you to Dynamic Money for continuing to sponsor the program uh, and you should go see Dynamic Money as well my actual real financial advisor it's nice to have a financial advisor who's investing in the growth of my show uh, I guess as 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 I start taking off um, I can send them more retirement money too <laughs> okay um, I, I, a word here before I go into other stuff there there is politicization happening. Uh, And and I don't think there's a reason to deny there's politicization happening. Uh, Here is uh, Katie Pavlich on uh, Fox News regarding all the politicization. How do you think? The Trump administration has responded to the
2: coronavirus, and if it continues to tank the markets and hurt the economy fairly or not, could it hurt the president's chances for re-election?
3: It certainly has an impact on the campaign trail, but it's also how Democrats on the campaign trail respond to it that really matters. Can they portray themselves as better leaders on this issue than President Trump, who has been in the Brady briefing room twice in the last four days to talk about this issue? He has uh, President, or my Vice President Mike Pence, in charge of a team of people. He has a CDC director, the head of HHS, talking about these things on a daily basis, meeting. They're meeting again today. We may hear, hear again from the president. Um, and Democrats, too, the AP is out with a fact check today saying that Michael Bloomberg and Joe Biden have been making false statements about the way the president has handled this in terms of CDC funding. And so Democrats have to be careful here about not trying to stoke panic for political reasons. And the president has a lot to handle in the sense that he has to be able to say, don't panic, go about your lives, but also. Also be prepared for this to get worse before it gets
4: better.
0: He does. And Vice President Pence was asked about uh, what's going on. He was with Chuck Todd, and, and I got some thoughts on this I want to play for you. I, I want to talk to you about after you hear this.
5: Well, I, I I will tell you, there's been a lot of irresponsible rhetoric among Democrats and commentators. Who who is this on the left? Name some names, sir. Well, uh,
0: because this is just, well, it just feels like gaslighting. P- please name some names. I'm I'm a we're all big. Well, re- we're all re- big people here. Name some names.
5: There was a column in the New York Times that uh, that by a prominent liberal journalist that said uh, we should rename it the Trump virus.
0: Okay, that 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 it is. Does that apply? Does that apply to, that apply to, to
5: all? People? So that the president would be blamed. Chuck, this, this, this virus I mean, began in China. Why take this, here's what I ask you. Took, this doesn't this, help. This, this took does not decisive help us, no? action yeah. to protect the American people, and uh, and when when you see voices on our side pushing back on outrageous and irresponsible rhetoric on the other side, I think that's important. Do you think this rhetoric from your side helps? I I, I never begrudge people responding to unwarranted, unjustified attacks, but I promise you. We're going to continue to focus on the mission the President's given this task force and given this government, and that is we're going to bring the full resources of the federal government to bear. And the American people. Uh The American people can be confident that we're going to continue to work this issue. We're going to work with leaders in both parties in Congress to make sure that not only our federal agencies have all the resources they need, but our state and local governments, health care providers have the resources and the support to provide the care that every American would want. Remember, Chuck, this is about the lives of the American people.
0: Chuck Todd... Like I, I know and like Chuck, but I, I think he's in the wrong here by he wants names from the Vice President. I, I want to give you some names. Just so we're we're all on the same page here. No one's denying it. Uh, Let me in this regard play you Oliver Darcy. Oliver Darcy is a CNN uh, contributor, media reporter. Let's listen to what Oliver Darcy has to say. And one
4: further and final note is that Fox, ironically, has been attacking all these other media organizations for supposedly politicizing this, uh, this crisis, this public health crisis. When, if you actually watch the channel, the only people politicizing this happen to be on that network and I think you just saw it there with with Donald Trump Jr. (laughs)
0: Oliver Darcy from CNN says the only people politicizing this happened to be on CNN. Well, we, we've got Gail Collins from The New York Times who says we should call this the Trump virus and blame him. You've got Paul Krugman from The New York Times doing virtually the same thing and, and tweeting out Dow 25,000 exclamation mark as the Dow crashes. Uh, then there's John Garamendi. He is a uh, Democratic congressman from California well after uh, the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the National Institutes of Health. The CDC and the vice president's office pushed back on the fact that they were not censoring Anthony Fauci. Uh, John Garamendi went on CBS and said that, yeah, you know, they say they're not. But look at what's happening. They've taken him off the airways, which wasn't true. He was doing other stuff. Um, that's that. That's an issue. Um, you've got the media continuing to circulate this. You had Joe Biden go on CNN and say the experts are being silenced, which isn't actually true. The experts weren't uh, being silenced. You've got the Associated Press that had to do a fact check pushing back on Mayor Bloomberg, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer, all of whom claiming that the President of the United States canceled funding for the CDC. That's not actually what he did. Uh, the Associated Press headline, Democrats distort coronavirus readiness. Uh, here's the opening paragraph. Democratic presidential contenders are describing the federal infectious disease bureaucracy as reckless and ill-prepared for the coronavirus threat because of budget cuts and ham-handed leadership by President Trump. That's a distorted picture. For starters, Trump hasn't succeeded in cutting the budget. Over the weekend, the president spoke uh, at, at CPAC and then in South Carolina, and he said that the uh, media blaming him for the virus is a hoax. Dana Milbank for The Washington Post then tweeted out that the president called uh, the, the 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 spread of the virus itself a hoax. That led to some media pushback, uh, even against uh, some people on TV. Where is this clip here that I'm looking for? Um, that it, you had people come on TV and say that the president of the United States is calling the virus a hoax, that's not true. Uh, Oh, I know, I I wound up not getting the clip cut because it was like a 10-minute long clip and it was just ridiculous. But yeah, you had uh, one of the presidential candidates on, it was Bloomberg, that's what it was, it was Bloomberg. Bloomberg went on TV and said that the president said the virus is a hoax and that's not what he said. He was actually blaming the media for perpetuating a hoax against the president. You've got the Politico ran a headline claiming the president said it was a hoax. In fact, the Politico ran a cartoon that showed a man committing suicide when he found out the president's team said they had it under control, or or the president's team, the words are got this, the president's team's got this, and the man jumps off a ledge after hearing that. Uh, So don't tell me the media and the Democrats aren't politicizing it. And Chuck's got a great research team. They should have been able to find these names for him. The fact that he couldn't find those names, uh, I think is a little bit depressing that I don't think they even wanted to try. Here's Thomas Chatterton Williams. He's an, a columnist for the New York Times Magazine. He tweets out a picture of the president with all of these different people praying. All the experts, including Anthony Fauci, among others, are in there with their heads bowed praying. And he tweets, Mike Pence and his coronavirus emergency team praying for a solution. We are so screwed. You You want media bias. You want media attacks. You want partisanship. Here are the names. These are the names of the people. These are names of Democrats and members of the media who are politicizing the spread of the virus, saying that only Republicans are doing it. Here's Catherine Rample on on the Reliable Sources show on CNN. Uh,
3: I I think so. I think what you're seeing here is that Republicans, right-wing media are resorting to the same playbook that they've done with everything else whenever there has been unfavorable uh, coverage of some kind for their, their guy, Donald Trump. They refer to the Russia scandal as a hoax. They refer to every other previous scandal as a hoax. And that made sense in a way, right, that if you can convince the public that something is fake news that they can't independently verify, maybe they will brush it off as indeed untrue. However, I'm not sure that this strategy is particularly potent when we're talking about a public health risk, not only because, uh, of course, it it doesn't lead to the adaptive behavior.
0: Can we just stop there because her voice is annoying when it comes to this sort of stuff? Um, The the fact is that it was a politicized effort by members of the media and Democrats to try to undermine the um, try to undermine. Here's here's the clip. I did find the clip. It is Bloomberg. We did cut it up. This is Bloomberg talking to 60 Minutes and Scott Pelley. How do you view this emergency?
2: Um, I find it incomprehensible that the president would do something as inane as calling it a hoax, which he did last night in South Carolina. He he said that the Democrats making so much of it is a Democratic hoax, not that the virus was a hoax. Uh, This is up to the scientists and the doctors as to whether there is a problem. They all around the world say that it is in some places and has enormous potential to become one elsewhere, And it is just ignorant and irresponsible to not stand up and be the leader and say, we don't know, but we have to prepare for the fact that if it is, we have the medicines and the structure and the knowledge to deal with it.
0: But notice how Pelly has to, because I mean, this is Washington Post columnists and, and reporters at Politico running headlines saying the president referred to it as a hoax. And Scott Pelley, a good reporter with CBS, has to push back on Bloomberg, who's already grabbed the talking point and claimed the presence of the virus is a hoax. It's not. It's a headline in Politico, among others, uh, doing this. Here, Here's Eddie Glaude on uh, Meet the Press. So we know he's just uncomfortable handling moments like this.
5: Right. And we know he doesn't have the
1: capacity or the competence to handle such moments. That's a harsh judgment to we make. We don't
0: know that yet. No, We're I, hope, I, I, am, I, I, I think a lot of us hope that and this one, all we all we, hope it's wrong on that one.
2: Look, I want, I, want this, I want this administration to succeed on this for a variety, for obvious yes.
1: reasons. But we ha- the evidence is in. We're not just talking about a credibility crisis. We're talking about a competency crisis. And it has, we've all been asking this question. Will they be ready and prepared to deal with a genuine, genuine threat, a genuine crisis in the country? And it, mean, it makes sense to me that we're doubtful. Let me just say this, too. This proves the argument that there's a role for government we've seen over and over again an attack on big government that it has no usefulness. It's not efficient. Da, da, da. We see the purpose of
0: government now. And I think folks need to make that argument. I, I, I got a question. Is there anyone in the listening notes? I, I actually want to hear from you. And I've got a phone number here. 877-973-7425. Is there any one of you out there who doesn't want to? government, who doesn't believe there's a role to play for government, who, who, who thinks that uh, we're overstating the case for government. What a straw man argument that is. I, I am not aware of anyone who thinks, hey, you know what, let's just get rid of government altogether. Let's get rid of the Centers for Disease Control altogether. Let's get rid of the ability of states to coordinate via the federal government to stop this. Uh, What a straw man argument. It is a fake argument to say something like that. Fascinating that that's where he would go with this that somehow uh, we, we need bigger government. You know, there actually are. What, what is, you want to go for, further for the politicization of the coronavirus, you've got editorialists out there saying, hey, this is why we need government-run health care. You know, the, the insurance companies, they're not going to pay for the vaccine or the testing. Let me explain to you people how this works. And I mean that lovingly, not pejoratively, you people. You're in Georgia. You're okay. Uh, l- let's make this real world. You're in Macon, Georgia, where I am. There is a virus going around right now. I know because I had it and I was out of work for a couple of days, uh, lost my voice, and then my daughter had it, and then my son had it. Uh, there is a virus going around. Uh, it is uh, not upper respiratory, it's in your lungs and your throat. Your throat gets sore. You feel miserable. You're exhausted. You have no energy. You lose your voice. And it's been going around for a little while. and someone decides they want to go get tested for COVID-19 there are no there are no instances of it in Georgia there's no one who's traveled in the immediate area here in Macon that would get it and yet people are freaked out about it because of because of all the concerns and they want to get tested should they be tested and if so should their insurance company have to cover the test i would argue no Because uh, they don't fit the profile of someone who may have picked it up. And they don't have the signs there's a pre-existing virus going around. And they have all the symptoms of that virus. And just because they're a hypochondriac, why should your insurance company have to pay for it? Why should your insurance company have the burden burden of it? And then comes the issue of the vaccine. Should the insurance company pay for it? As a matter of fact, most insurance plans are self-insured plans. And most employers are going to want to pay for the vaccine because it's a lot cheaper long-term. Than the healthcare recovery costs if you do get sick. In fact, if we go back to the H1N1 bird flu that spread around the United States for a while, uh, the, the, the most insurance companies, I think every single insurance company in America, wound up covering the cost of the vaccine with. Without the government demanding that they do it because they knew that the costs of long-term care would outweigh the costs of the vaccine. So cover the costs of letting everyone get vaccinated and you won't have to worry about the medical costs of dealing with the fallout. And yet you've got Democrats out there saying, oh, we need more government. We need socialized government. We need the government to cover the costs. We need the insurance companies and and the healthcare companies and the corporations to cover this stuff for free. We need a law to make sure they do it. No, you don't. They're going to do it because it'll save them money long term. Don't tell me that Democrats are politicizing it. I do not believe Democrats want a bunch of Americans to die. I do not believe that. And I, that, that's where I've got to part ways with Donald Trump Jr. That's part of what he said. But he's absolutely right they're politicizing it. He's absolutely right they are trying to drag politics into this. He's absolutely right they're trying to undermine the president and his team on this and try to sow distrust and discord against the president. For God's sakes, the Politico ran a cartoon of a man committing suicide when he found out that the president of the United States and his team, quote, unquote, they've got this don't tell me members of the press aren't politicizing this the phone number here is 87797 eric 8779737425 so there's legislation pending in the state senate that will allow us here in Georgia to decide if we want to stay standard time or daylight saving time. Wes Cantrell from uh, the Woodstock area, from uh, north of Atlanta, he's a pastor and and member of the state house, is pushing legislation to let us decide. I actually want to talk about that a little bit when we come back. Right now, though, I want to take a call from Melvin. Welcome to the program, Melvin.
1: Hey, thank you very kindly, Eric, because um, you helped me whenever we brought in the um, Corsair for Grover. Oh, yeah. Thank you very kindly. And I've been trying to reach you, but anyway, all I was mentioning to the gentleman was it's kind of interesting how everybody's, as far as the liberals, are politicizing the coronavirus. Um, they're blaming President Trump, et cetera. However, um, being two-faced as they are, they're leaving our southern borders wide-slap open. In fact, uh, memory serves me right. Elizabeth Warren's even trying to pull money from the border right. wall um, for all of this. So it's kind of like yep. uh, it's kind of wrong.
0: Oh, it is. And, you know, I guarantee you, Melvin, and thank you very much for the phone call. I guarantee all of you. In fact, I wrote this in a column, newspaper column last week. I guarantee you that if the coronavirus spreads more in this country, the media is going to attack the president for not securing the border. You know, that's going to happen. Uh, the, The media is going to come after the president for not securing the border. And, you know, the other thing that's going to happen is is let's say it spreads – to the kids in the in the ice facilities, the processing facilities. I'm not calling them cages They're processing facilities, uh, trying to make sure they're with their parents, trying to keep them safe. Let's say the coronavirus spreads there. Now, interestingly enough, uh, all of the data at this point suggests if you're under the age of 20, you're not going to get it. Or if you get it, you're barely going to have symptoms. Uh, it is uh, the older you get, the worse it is. The, the younger, you know, this is the reverse. So the Spanish flu back in the 19-teens, impacted the young far more than the elderly. And this is, is the reverse. The elderly are far more susceptible to it than the young. And, But if it spreads in those facilities, you know this is going to be yet another issue of the media just blowing this up to attack the president. The president can't win with this stuff. And, and, I, and listen, I don't think everything the president does is good. I think there are things the president does that are bad. I think this Taliban deal is suspect. And if Barack Obama had done it, we would all be outraged. And, and if I've got time, I want to get into that. But seriously, uh, the level of of politics by the press on this stuff is absolutely bizarre. And it's unfortunate. And it, it is it, crazy people um, in the media who are desperate to blame the president for anything to help the Democrats. And... Uh, we'll be on this beat for a while. I want to shift gears, though, when we come back. I'll keep taking your phone calls, though. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And did you know that Jesus had boy parts? Yeah, stick around. You're going to want to hear this. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Remember, it is E-R-I-C-K, and I want to give you some good news here at 11.07 a.m. this Monday morning. The Dow Jones is up. 350 points right now. The Nasdaq is up 110. The New York Stock Exchange itself up 128 points. Apple is up $14 right now. Uh, encouraging signs of, of stuff out there. Yay! Uh, let's go to the phones out of the gate to celebrate. Greg and Marietta, welcome to the program. Good morning, Eric. Happen to listen to you on the internet uh, from here in
1: Marietta? Love the new show. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, two things related to government. One, the size of the U.S. government is too big. If you think of the economy as a pie, the bigger the size of government, the smaller the pie for the, small, for the private economy. You mm-hmm. see that with Europe. Yep. And I will take the American privately driven or semi-privately driven healthcare care system in, a, in attacking coronavirus over the nationalized systems of Europe any day of the week. I agree. And there's your home run. There's your home run. I, I would, you know, you look at Italy, you look at France and Europe and what they're having to do with their nationalized systems in attacking this. They can't be as nimble. I put our capitalist system up against their state-controlled any day of the week.
0: Yeah, you know, Greg, I'm glad you say that. And this gets back to the Eddie Glaude comment from from Meet the Press this Trump. weekend, where he says, I, "I just don't understand that anybody wants uh, government." The that there's no people are opposed to government, and this is an excuse for government. Nobody's saying we don't need government and we don't need coordination. But by God, let the private sector in this country come up with solutions. Uh, it's going to be American uh, and frankly Israeli. Now, there's actually a lot of data out there. It, it's Israeli. Um, doctors and researchers and American doctors and researchers working together who are coming up with a solution to the situation. People forget, you know, we don't get it highlighted here a lot, but just consider in Britain, the, uh, let me see if I can get into the telegraph system here. Uh, That's the British newspaper. Uh, The, one of the British uh, health Experts says uh, it's going to get worse, and you may see several hundred thousand dead. The secretary of uh, the cabinet minister in charge of the Department of Health, that you could see a whole bunch of people die as a result of this, uh, and scaring people. and And the 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 prime minister saying, "Wait, not so fast." Uh, There has been a fifty percent increase in twenty four hours in the UK, but that just means twelve people. But here's the thing. This is the thing that people forget. It is a fact that in Great Britain, when there is a big flu outbreak, it grinds everything to a halt. Uh, if you've ever been in Britain during a flu outbreak, uh, it is it is not a place you want to be. Because it actually spreads. Uh, and the, the, the flu vaccine is not a good thing. Um, the, the flu in Great Britain is messy. And the healthcare system in Britain, the national uh, health service situation is not a good health service when it comes to pandemic outbreaks. In the United States, we're better off. Now, part of the reason that people, and this, by the way, this is also, I wasn't going to go here out of the gate, but I might as well. This is one reason why, for all the Democrats who say we need a Canadian or a British healthcare system, Do you know the population difference between the United States and Great Britain are orders of magnitude? Same with Canada. There are as many people who, many people live in Texas as live in Canada. In Great Britain, it is overwhelmingly white and half the size of this country, less than half the size of this country. And more compact as well. That's one reason for all the fascination that people have in this country. By the way, there is a there's a subcurrent of conservatives in this country, and they are actual conservatives, but they love trains. I've actually got a friend whose wife is more hardcore conservative than him, and she won't let their kids play with trains. Won't let her kids play with trains. Why? Because she says that, that uh, people's fascination with trains begins at an early age, and you get all these conservatives in the conservative movement in D.C. who are perfectly fine with the subsidization of, of railroads in this country because they fell in love with trains playing with them as kids. She doesn't want her kids to play with trains because she doesn't want to fall, them to fall in love with them and say, hey, we should have railroads across the country. You know, they're trying to build high-speed rail now between Atlanta and Charlotte and Atlanta and Nashville, and they're trying to make the, the case— for high-speed rail now, except the, the Atlanta to Nashville uh, high-speed rail system won't be high-speed rail. You'll be able to take a bus faster to Nashville with stops along the way than you would the, the rail service. But in any event, you've got some, some real fascination with conservatives out there with the rail system. And the reason the rail system works in France or Germany or or the U.K. is because those countries are tiny compared to the United States you drive the interstates in this country or drive the back roads of this country and there is a massive amount of land and it is land that is open and farmed or or parkland you name it but we've got vast amounts of rural land through which you could build railroads, but it's way easier to get on a plane and fly from point A to point B. In this country, it's, it's, we have cars. You know, I, I've got—I had an uncle. When I was a kid, I, I had an uncle, and he was just—he was a—I a, didn't care for him. He was not a nice man. Uh, he cut off four of his fingers and made them sew back on his middle finger. That gives you the the, 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 the type of person that that my uncle was. Yeah. Right. By the way, I'm not making that up. That's a true story. He, he really did do that. Uh, lived in Florida. Uh, he was just he, he was an odd, odd guy. Brilliant, brilliant engineer from Georgia Tech, uh, but an odd guy and um, had his middle finger sewn back on after it was cut off because he said that was the one he used. But he pointed out one time he had a they, he had worked for a while in Belgium. And had a friend come over and was lamenting the, the lack of language in the United States and the lack of rail in the United States and how reliant on cars we are in the United States. And he made a good point, and it has stuck with me forever. If, you are in, um, if you're in, in Georgia, pick anywhere you are in Georgia, and you drive 500 miles, where are you going to be? If you're in Georgia and you drive five hundred miles, where are you going to be? You know what? I'm going to pull up my radar map. Not because I want to read the radar today. Oh, it's raining. Hello there. Or is this updated? Yep. It's raining in North Georgia, but I, I'm I'm pulling it up because I have this measurement. And I'm I'm in North Bibb County and I'm gonna stretch this out to five hundred miles just because I can. And there's a method to my madness here. If I were to drive from Macon, Georgia, where I am, and I were to go out 500 miles, well, let's see. Um, I could be down in, towards, I could be in Miami, it's 524 miles. I could be in uh, Northern Virginia. I could be in West Virginia. I could be in Ohio. I could be in Indiana. I could be in Illinois. I could be in Missouri or Arkansas. Nobody wants to go to Arkansas. I could be in Louisiana. In 500 miles, I could be in any one of those states. But every single one of those states is inside the United States of America. I'm not going to a different country. And so there is no reason for me to have to learn anything other than English if I live in the United States of America. Because uh, with the exception of, of border states... You're not, gonna, you're not going to, to go. And, and, you know, heck, for that matter, if you live in northern Texas and you drive south 500 miles, you're still in Texas. And the same with railroad. You, 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 you get on a train in, in France and you go 500 miles, you can be in one of a bunch of countries. You go in this country, you're going to be in, 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 if you're in Texas, you're still in Texas. You've never left Texas. It is disproportionate and the same, and you're wondering, what the heck is he going on about trains and, and railroads? And, and the, the point is that we have a bunch of left-wing academics in this country who envy Europe, and, and they think we need to learn a bunch of, of languages, because Europeans do, and we need to have, have railways, because Europe does, and we need to have national health care, because Europe does, but the reality is, you go 500 miles in any direction from where you are right now listening to me in the United States, and you're still going to be in the United States with a bunch of English-speaking people in a bunch of areas that have a bunch of rural land. You go 500 miles anywhere in Europe, you're going to be in a different country with a different language, uh, we, probably in an urban core. Most of the people in Europe live in urban cores. They do not live in rural areas. In this country, uh, 55% of people live in a rural area. It is, it is actually a minority of people, uh, close to a majority now, close, but not quite, uh, living uh, in uh, urban areas. A majority or minority or majority of people in this country live in rural areas. It's about a 50 50 split, really, at this point when you adjust for demographics. We are completely different from Europe. And our capitalist free market private sector can respond better than a European style socialist regime. Now, why is that so? Because a one size fits all socialist healthcare system is designed for the majority. And the minority has to conform. That is why in Europe there is a huge movement uh, among the the climate change uh, people who are panicked. Uh, what is it? The, the extinction coalition people. They want everyone to live in cities. And the reason they want everyone to live in cities is because you're more easily able to be controlled in a city. But also you don't have to. You can get rid of your cars when you move into a city, and you put in transportation systems and the like. Not the case in this country. In this country, about half the country lives rurally. In fact, you know, there there was a, um, oh, what was it? It came out Friday evening. It was a report over the weekend I saw that uh, the problem for the Democrats is less than a third of Americans live within 50 miles of a Lululemon, an Apple store, or a Whole Foods. And two-thirds of Americans live within 50 miles of a Walmart, a Lowe's, or a tractor supply company. And the Democrats increasingly cater their message to people who live close to the Whole Foods or the Apple store. And they've totally forgotten about the people who live close to the Walmart or the tractor supply store. And their only advantage in those areas are black voters. And they completely ignore black voters in their messaging, by and large. Which, by the way, is one reason so many black voters are turning out to Joe Biden. Because they remember Joe Biden and they like Joe Biden. And Joe Biden had their back. As vice president for Barack Obama and the Bernie Sanderses of the world, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, and the like, they don't. They're catering towards rich white people, and that sort of stuff actually really matters. And uh, black voters are responding in kind by voting for Joe Biden, but overwhelmingly, the Democratic Party ignores them in favor of the um, in favor of rich white people who live near a Whole Foods. That is genuinely, unfortunately, the situation. And... The Democrats need to get a clue on that, but the rest of us need to get a clue on it as well. That is why uh, so much of this one-size-fits-all stuff that the Democrats talk about, it works well when you're in New York City or San Francisco or Los Angeles, but it doesn't work well when you're in Vidalia, Georgia, or Valdosta, Georgia, or Macon, Georgia, or Clarkville, Georgia, or Rome, Georgia, or anywhere else, Athens, Georgia, for that matter. It, it, it doesn't It doesn't work. And when they want to find solutions to the coronavirus in this country, there is a system that works well. It is called the capitalist free enterprise system. And by the way, we don't have a very good free enterprise system in this country anymore. It is overrun with Chamber of Commerce cronies who want to get kickbacks and carve-outs for major corporations in Washington, D.C. at the expense of small business. We would be better off in this country if we poured resources into the deregulation of small businesses and, and the intellectual property reform in this country that would allow small businesses to compete with big businesses, including small medical facilities and small medical, pharmaceutical manufacturers. And the Trump administration is taking us in the right direction. I just don't think as fast as they probably could and should. But the reality is this. The solutions for the coronavirus are going to be found in the private sector. It's going to be the private sector that manufactures the vaccine. It's going to be the private sector that distributes it. It's going to be the private sector that works with the government in a collaborative way. The government itself tends to be too incompetent. If you don't believe me, consider the people from the CDC who went to help people get off a plane with highly communicable diseases and didn't dress properly and potentially contaminated themselves. That's not Donald Trump's government doing that. That's the government doing it. It doesn't matter who the president is. The government responds in that way. Incompetently, more often than not, the private sector behaves more reasonably and competently. Yeah. Can I say I'm a little disappointed the government didn't go with kung flu instead of COVID-19, considering it came out of China. Now, I realize, I realize, I realize. Um it, it's it's I I know, I know, I know. There's there's all sorts of stereotyping and bad things. And in fact, I my kid said that, that she referred to it as Kung flu at, at school. And one of the teachers got mad and suggested she, she's, my kid. of course they understand, but I just, I, I'm thinking it, 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 just, it sounds better than COVID-19. Uh, okay. Uh, Joseph going to go to you next. Welcome.
1: Hey Eric, good to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. And I actually, I was courting a uh, Asian girl the other day and I made a, COVID-19 junk, and it's landed like a lead balloon. Did not <laughs> help me out at all, i got to say. I bet so. <laughs> Did not help me out. Anyway, I just wanted to give a quick correction. You just said that uh, the CDC were the guys that inappropriately greeted the people coming back that were infected uh-huh. without the proper protective gear. That was actually the HHS and the State Department that overruled
0: oh. the CDC. Okay. The
1: the CDC objected to that so strongly they demanded that their name not be mentioned in any press releases related to that thing. Yeah. And, And importantly, Eric, the HHS, that pandemic response group that we set up for Ebola, Trump got rid of it. Why? Because Obama created it.
0: Well, if we had that
1: in place, we'd be in a lot better place, man.
0: Yeah, Yes and no. Um, you know, there's actually and kudos to CNN for reporting on this. The president got rid of the pandemic task force at the White House because it was expressly designed to look out for Ebola. They reprioritized some of the funding and, in fact, were able to draw, I think I read and CNN was like $500 million still in the budget. They were able to reassign it uh, to the COVID-19. But thank you for that. Now, you're right. The, the CDC did not want those people coming back into the country, and they didn't want the press release. But I thought it was CDC. I thought the whistleblower said it was CDC people getting on the plane. If that's Health and Human Services people, good lord, it's still Health and Human Services. Um, I, I, Joseph, I, I would say though that on the the Ebola task force, you make a good point. It's a valid criticism, but I do think that it's not that they got rid of the pandemic task force within the White House. It's that they moved stuff back to health and human services. And kudos to Jake Tapper at CNN for pointing out a lot of this stuff, that that a lot of the criticisms from Obama staffers was overblown. Because it's not that we got rid of anything to deal with pandemic task force. It's that in the Obama administration – the The president centralized the focus on a lot of these things, and with the with the downplaying of Ebola. And any, uh, granted, fifty hindsight is 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 uh what 2020 uh, they decided to move that stuff to the Department of Health and Human Services um I'm gonna I gotta I really thought I had read that it was the CDC people who went on the plane but um it is definitely Joseph is a hundred thousand percent right the CDC did not want those people brought back to the United States and the State Department in Health and Human Services overrode the CDC on the idea of bringing infected Americans back to the United States uh, and they, they shouldn't have done it the CDC was right. Uh, What I do think is interesting are the number of Democrats who are out there going after the CDC uh, because the president has appointed someone to be in charge of it as opposed to leaving the former director in charge. Have you all heard this criticism that they say that the president's head of the CDC isn't as good an expert as what Obama had. Therefore, we shouldn't pay attention to this guy, which is unfortunate. It's like the New York Times columnist today attacking the vice president. The White House released a picture of the vice president praying uh, with the group of advisors. And I mean, these are a who's who of people. It's not just him and the Secretary of Health and Human Services. It's Anthony Fauci, the guy the media loves. It is uh, the the expert who the Obama team even praised when it was announced that uh, Donald Trump put her in charge of it. it. It's all these people being praised, uh, and then this New York Times writer condemns them for praying. Very much like uh, a writer for Vox attacked the White House yesterday for a release of a picture, saying it was all men involved. There, there was no diversity. I'm sorry, but I, I'm, I don't know the mind of COVID-19, the Kung Flu, but I'm fairly certain that it is not uh, responsive to the idea that, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble now because the White House has a diverse team as opposed to an expert team. You've got people in there who are the, the top experts in their field. They just happen to be men and you've got Democrats worried about the diversity of the team. That's crazy. It's priorities, people. Priorities. Um, wow. Now, uh, sorry, we're 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 having minor technical issue here. Um, I I honestly, y'all, when we come back, there's something else that has left us hot and bothered today. It's whether Jesus actually was a boy. Yeah, keep in mind. Yeah, we're we're gonna go there when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show, the phone number 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Uh, By the way, uh, Joseph, if you're still listening, I found the article, and thank you again for pointing that out. Uh, Yes, federal workers sent to help U.S. corona evacuees without proper protection. Whistleblower says it was not people from CDC. It was people from Health and Human Services employees, Health and Human Services, and the State Department, one of these people to come back from overseas. These are the Diamond Princess Cruise people who were trapped. Uh, The Centers for Disease Control were in full gear to protect themselves from getting sick. Uh, Department of uh, Health and Human Services employees wore nothing, nothing. Uh, Wow. Uh, Thank you, Joseph. I had said CDC. Joseph called and corrected me. I appreciate it very much. Uh, The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Reminder, I'll be in Athens Wednesday night at the University of Georgia talking to the College Republicans. Now, we've got to talk about, you know, the most important issue of the day here. That feels almost blasphemous to have this conversation with you people. God forgive me. Um, did Jesus have boy parts? You're thinking, well, yes, because he was uh circumcised. According to scripture, on the eighth day, as all little Jewish boys were, he was circumcised. Um, well, a Daily Beast writer, I'm not, I don't want to give her name. I'm not going to provide a link anywhere because all they want is, is hacked off Christians to clickbait, except it's behind a paywall. You've actually got to subscribe to the Daily Beast to see the entire article. Uh, and the, the kickoff point is the Shroud of Turin. Now I, a full disclosure here, I tend to think I, I lean towards not being as skeptical of the Shroud of Turin as some of my friends. I have actually know a couple of people who have been lifelong researchers of the Shroud of Turin. Uh, and they think it is very plausible that it is authentic. Now, it, it's if you believe it, you'll find ways to justify it. And if you don't, you'll find ways to not justify it. There was a, a test years ago. There was a carbon dating test of the Shroud of Turin and it tested as the fabric came from the 16th or 17th century now here's a problem with the test as as the as the experts of the shroud will point out Uh, The area of the shroud that was tested uh, was fabric that had uh, actually was documented to the the shroud got caught up in a fire, was damaged and some such, and and they re-threaded part of it. And the area that the fabric was tested came from that area. And so it would have been the 16th or 17th century. But the things that cannot be explained, including in that test, is that they have found pollen that dates back to uh, the the start of the, the first millennia, uh, dates back to the Roman Empire area in Judea. So even though people have said maybe this is a scam from Italy uh, from the 16th or 17th century, there is uh, uh, pollen and organic matter trapped in the fibers that is from first century uh, Judea. So how... The scammer did that. I, I, no one knows. And I, I look again. I, I got plenty of researchers out there who, who really do think something happened, Uh and and they're they're experts in it. They have all sorts of stories. Well, one of the things is they've they've they're rescanning the shroud, and in rescanning the shroud, they have discovered that if you look closely enough, you can actually see from the side of where the hands are folded a little you can you can you can get a side glance of of boy parts i'm trying to be delicate here we're talking about our lord and the shroud of turin in any event yeah it appears that if if you under under updated scanning and high resolution of the shroud of turin yes Uh, there, there's, there's a little bit of boy parts that can be seen, uh, behind the hands that are folded. And some writer at the daily beast has decided, this is so awkward. Some writer at the daily beast has basically decided to write, uh, how can we be sure Jesus was a boy? Now, what I find fascinating about this, and this is where I want to go We live in a day and age where if you suggest that boys are boys and girls are girls and and you cannot change, you are considered an anti-trans bigot. And in fact, uh, you are supposed to be able to pick your gender. If you're a boy and you decide you're a girl, well, then by God, you're a girl. And if you're a girl and you decide you're a boy, well, then by God, you're a boy. It doesn't matter. And this leads us, unfortunately, into some very difficult and awkward positions because there's a story that is out today of an 18-year-old student who uh, in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, Austin Sauer, was arrested Thursday for fourth-degree sexual assault, child enticement, and exposing his genitals to a child in a gender-neutral bathroom. They set up the gender-neutral bathroom so that those who decide that they're boys and want to be girls or girls who want to be boys can go in, and this guy's in there and apparently a- exposed himself to a a, a girl, and actual girl in the gender-neutral bathroom. And and we're, we're in this world now where the left thinks nothing of having uh, grown men who decide they're women going into the girl's bathroom and making things awkward. You've got uh, grown men competing in women's athlete, athletic events because they're not good enough to be in the men's events, but they can beat the women in the women's events. And now here comes a Daily Beast writer saying, even though the Shroud of Turin, which may or may not be authentic, may or may not be a forgery, clearly shows that the, the, the Jesus had boy parts, that did Jesus really, did the real Jesus, first of all, it's notable that, that we've got a, a Daily Beast writer uh, determining that actually Jesus existed. We should at least praise her for that. But how do we know Jesus identified as a boy? Seriously, we live in a day and age where you and I get to decide whether or not we're a boy or a girl, but the Lord God himself, who identified as a male, uh, the left isn't al- it won't allow him to do it. So everybody gets to pick their gender except for God, and we've got to let left-wing progressive ideologues decide whether or not God is actually a boy or a girl when he himself said uh, he's a boy. He came to earth as a boy. It is not disputed Jesus was a man. And yet was he really didn't he get in touch with his feminine side? Jesus wept, you know. It really is just 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 infuriating to me that we go there with the left. I mean, it's like every every major figure in history now is gay. I mean, it was Abraham Lincoln gay? Alexander the Great, and and on and on it goes. The left is is very convinced that every significant person uh, was was gay in history. We've got to revise history to to account for people's sexuality. Uh, we've got to now revise the Bible to decide whether or not Jesus is a boy or a girl. Man, there are the this world, mm, 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 mm. and there's a relevant angle here beyond this. It is clickbait. It is a clickbait agenda-driven press that is designed. This is why I'm not linking to it and, and why I'm not mentioning the author's name because I don't want you to be, go easily find this to because to, to, I don't want you to send them traffic. You should know that it's out there. You should know what they're doing, but you should also know that that in part it is the the advance of this ridiculous social agenda, but it is also in part uh, the advance of the idea that uh, that they gotta have clicks, and they gotta say outrageous things. For example, there was a report. Over the weekend, on Saturday night, it hit the wires. I actually told, no, it was Friday night. It was Friday night after my second show, it hit the wires, that there are 11 more confirmed cases of coronavirus in San Antonio, Texas. There's a problem. Do you know what those 11 cases are? They're not, contrary to what the media said, 11 new confirmed cases showing the virus spreading in San Antonio, Texas. That's the way the media took it. No, it was 11 people who were already quarantined by the United States government on the belief that they would get the coronavirus because they had been in a group of people who had the coronavirus. But the media left that out. The media decided to rush the story that 11 people had the coronavirus in San Antonio proof that it was spreading. And people were in a panic and circulating the story and no, it was 11 people already quarantined. No one knew had gotten it. They were already expected to test positive. But if they had told you all of that, would you have clicked on the story? Would you have clicked on the story had they said the actual story, I, I don't think you would have. And more and more, that's the problem with the media is that they've got to get you to click the story. Like, for example, The political. Let me I, I took a screenshot of this. I should be able to find it real quick on my phone. Um, the Politico headline. Yes, here's the headline. Trump rallies conservatives and drops charges of a coronavirus hoax. That's the Politico headline for a story. And the media, well, the left picked up the story and started pushing the story that uh, the president was accusing of saying that the coronavirus was a hoax, that it wasn't real. And that's not what the president said in any way, shape or form. That is not what the president said. What the president of the United States said is that the media and Democrats blaming him for the spread of it was a hoax. And you'd have never known that had you just read the standard stories. This is a real problem in this country uh, when we need to be able to trust the media. And let me go full circle to the very beginning of the show here. If you if you've subscribed to my my Substack newsletter, you've got a link to the story. And I want to read you a bit of a story. Um, for, and it's from Smithsonian Magazine and it's from 2017. And it's about the Spanish flu. How the horrific 1918 flu spread across America, the toll of history's worst epidemic surpasses all military deaths in World War I and World War II combined, and it may have begun in the United States. Let let me read you the beginning of this. Haskell County, Kansas, lies in the southwest corner of the state near Oklahoma and Colorado. In 1918, sod houses were still common, barely distinguishable from the treeless dry prairies they were dug out of. It had been cattle country, A now bankrupt ranch once handled 30,000 head, but Haskell farmers also raised hogs, which is one possible clue to the origin of the crisis that would terrorize the world that year. Another clue is that the county sits on a major migratory flyway of 17 bird species, including sandhill cranes and mallards. Scientists today understand the bird influenza viruses, like human influenza viruses, can infect hogs, and when a bird virus and a human virus infect the same pig cell, their different genes can be shuffled and exchanged like playing cards, resulting in a new, perhaps especially lethal virus. We cannot say for certain that what happened in 1918 in Haskell County, but we do know that an influenza outbreak struck in January, an outbreak so severe that although influenza was not then a reportable disease, a local physician named Loring Minor, a large and imposing man, gruff, a player in local politics who became a doctor before the acceptance of germ theory of disease, but whose intellectual curiosity kept him abreast of scientific developments, went to the trouble of alerting the U.S. Public Health Service. The report itself does not exist any longer, but it stands as the first recorded notice anywhere in the world of the Spanish flu. The local newspaper confirmed something odd was happening. Ms. Eva Van Alstein is sick with pneumonia. Ralph Linneman is still quite sick. Homer Moody has been reported quite sick. Pete Hesser's three children have pneumonia. Mrs. J.S. Cox is very weak, yet Ralph McConnell has been quite sick this week. Burton, the youngest son of, of Ernest Elliott, is sick with pneumonia. Most everybody over the county is having Lagripper or pneumonia. Several Haskell men who had been exposed to the influenza went to Camp Funston in, in central Kansas. Days later, the first soldier known to have the Spanish flu reported ill. A huge army base was training men for World War II, and within two weeks, 1,100 soldiers had it. And it spread from there. And one of the things that this author goes on to talk about that is quite fascinating is Woodrow Wilson. Wilson ordered the sedition act and congress passed it he demanded let me read you what woodrow wilson demanded the spirit of ruthless brutality enter into the very fiber of the national life he created the committee on public information which was inspired by an advisor who wrote this truth and falsehood are arbitrary terms the force of a, an idea lies in its inspirational value it matters very little if it's true or false at wilson's urging congress passed the sedition act making it punishable with 20 years in prison, to, quote, utter, print, write, or publish any disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language about the form of government of the United States, or to urge, incite, or advocate any curtailment of production in the country of anything or things necessary or essential to the prosecution of the war. Government posters and advertisements urge people to report to the Department of Justice anyone who spreads pessimistic stories, cries for peace, or belittles our effort to win the war." And against this, the influenza outbreak began to spread and public health officials determined they needed to keep morale up. So they began to lie. Early in September of 1918, a Navy ship from Boston carried influenza to Philadelphia where the disease erupted in a Navy yard. The city's public health director, Wilmer Cruzen, declared he would confine the disease to its present limits. And in this, we are sure to be successful. No fatalities have been recorded. No concern, whatever is felt. The next day, two sailors died. and then said the disease will decrease. The next day, 14 sailors died and the first civilian, and it kept going. By September 26, influenza had spread across the country. So many military training camps were beginning to look like uh, the Navy Yard. The Army had to cancel its nationwide draft call. In Philadelphia, there was massive numbers of death. Hundreds of thousands of people died at its worst in the epidemic. 759 people died in Philadelphia in one day. More than 12,000 Philadelphians died in six weeks. And the press continued to insist it was no big deal. Everything was fine. And so did the government. And so what does this guy say at the end? Fascinating read here. The whole thing was fascinating. But this is what he says. In my view, the most important lesson from the Spanish flu outbreak of 1918 is to tell the truth. Though the idea is incorporated into every preparedness plan I know of, its actual implementation will depend on the character and leadership of the people in charge as a crisis erupts. And this is a concern the left has about the president because the president doesn't always give accurate information. But this should also be a concern we have with the media that is way more willing to spread partisan talking points from the left and be dishonest when it comes to the president. We have a lack of trust in this country. You don't know who to believe. And so we have a virus that is breaking out. The data is suggesting it may not be as bad as we first thought, but still bad with high numbers of fatalities, particularly the older you go. And no one knows where to get information or who to believe because there are very few people in this country anymore who are really willing to tell us the truth. And you've also got this propaganda spin within the government now, we don't want people to panic. So we're not going to tell them how bad it is, but also in the media telling people you must panic because Donald Trump's in charge. And it leads to an era of confusion where the truth is a casualty of everybody's partisan plot. And that is unfortunate. Oh dear. Uh, This is uh, the mayor of San Antonio has released a statement uh, and a tweet Today we learned the Centers for Disease Control mistakenly released a patient from the Texas Center for Infectious Disease who later tested positive for COVID-19. The fact that the CDC allowed the public to be exposed to a patient with a positive COVID-19 reading is unacceptable. Uh, Well, okay. Here's the thing, y'all. The government's going to screw this up. We might as well be prepared, but... Uh, if we believe Anthony Fauci and the media assures us we should believe Anthony Fauci, I go back to his uh, piece he's got in the New England Journal of Medicine, that we, when we actually take into account uh, the number of people who are getting infected and not reporting it, and we may actually see a, a far less severe uh, COVID-19 than what we are originally thinking. And, you know, this makes sense. How many of you, when you get sick, how many of you report it to your doctor? When you get the flu, now, in the age of Tamiflu, I I guess, to some degree, this is a little different. People will call the doctor to get Tamiflu. But a lot of people, when they get the flu, they suck it up. They know they got the flu, and they stay home for a week, and they're miserable, and they get better. And they don't call the doctor. They don't go to the hospital, so they're not reported. And that's why, ultimately, when you look at the flu, when you actually look at the people who get medical care and whatnot, I believe the rate's about 2% mortality, but the overall rate is a tenth of a percent. And we're looking at with COVID-19, it is a a right now globally 3.4% mortality rate, and it may wind up being less than that with people. So there's no reason to panic. Just be prepared. Honest to goodness, washing your hands and not touching your face actually works. This virus spreads. It doesn't get absorbed through your skin. It goes through your nose or your mouth. And so you don't touch your face, you don't get near your face, and you don't let other people cough on you, you're fine. And by the way, wearing a mask isn't going to stop you from getting it. The mask is to be worn by sick people to prevent them from expelling germs from their mouth. Uh, So don't overreact, calm down, relax, and enjoy the media slugfest with the president. This week is going to be messy, messy when it comes to the media and Trump hating each other. I guarantee you that.